show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. (sighs) This interview with Arakai Moon is about seduction, and I'm really excited to bring you this conversation It was actually only a couple years ago, and I remember the revelation that I realized that not everyone thinks of seduction as a positive thing. Um, And I was kind of shocked when I, I remembered kind of hearing this for the first time, seemingly of like, wait, you think seduction is manipulative or you don't think seduction is, is amazing, you know? So I did a, um, a little poll on an Instagram story asking people to weigh in if they thought of seduction as an act of love or an act of manipulation. And I actually got kind of like a 50-50 split. And so early in this interview with Arakai, they go into why use the word seduction and, you know, going into that it is a, a word that has, you know, connotation or baggage but what seduction really is to them and how it's not about manipulation or getting things from anyone or asserting power over anyone. So we get into that right away and then we open up a door about what is seduction. So if you haven't been introduced to Arakai Moon yet, um, there's some really magical episodes on this podcast thus far with Arakai. Arakai, Dragon, They, Them is a siren astrologer, sexologist, creator of the Dragon School. You can DM them on Instagram at Star Siren Astrology, which I will link in the notes. They offer individual sessions, three-month intensives, and private retreats in Mexico. Or you can email them arakaimoon at gmail.com, which I'll also leave in the notes. And this is a two-part episode. This is part one, and part two will be out next. So tapping into why I love seduction, the way that I think about it is that I've had the experience, say, of being and feeling seduced by great works of art whether it was literature or film or something that say like in high school, growing up in the same town until I was 18, wanting something more from life, you know, feeling like there must be more than this, like something greater beyond the confines of this suburb. Like what does the world have to offer me, you know, or where can I go after this? And the glimpses that I would have of that kind of extra world would be in either deep encounters with other people where I felt a resonance that was rarer for me to feel or through these great works of art, sometimes created by people who were no longer alive. Right. And I would feel so alive in the presence of it. 
And this sparked in me a desire to, to weave, you know, to create art that would inspire others in the same way that I felt inspired. And so seduction to me has always felt like this kind of chain of being seduced and wanting to seduce, of being inspired and wanting to inspire, of wanting to become so much more than what I already am, but also reveling in what I am. And so I do think that there can be a side of seduction, perhaps that's uncomfortable, right? To feel swept away or to feel like you want something or someone and you're not sure that you can be satisfied, that it's not possible maybe to merge with that what you desire. Um, And on the other hand, there's an invitation within that, whether or not the desire is meant to be consummated, to feel into that vulnerability within ourselves of like, why am I so attracted to this person or this idea or this potential and to become more intimate with that yearning within ourselves and to see where that carries us. I think there's something inherent to seduction that it leads us to become more. It leads us to expand past our limitations. And yet there is also a side of seduction that it may just bring us in touch with a part of ourselves that we don't yet feel we have access to, that we see through the portal of something external. So before I drop us into this juicy conversation with Arakai, I would like to remind you that the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive that I teach is upcoming again November 8th. The last day to sign up is November 5th, so that's really coming up. This is a foundational all-levels course for immersing yourself in the language and practice of evolutionary astrology, a branch of astrology that looks at the natal chart from the perspective of the soul's ongoing evolution on a multi-lifetime journey. So it's a karmic reincarnation, soul-based astrology to kind of situate yourself, your personality, your life circumstances, the early life circumstances that you came into this life with, within a context of you as a soul and how everything that's happening in your life or has happened is part of your kind of alchemical story here of your own evolution and how this actually can change when we're aware of it and play with it. We know we're playing the game. It's a really interesting thing that part of, you know, reincarnation theory is that we kind of forget, you know, we similar to how, when you're having a dream, you don't necessarily remember the beginning of the dream. You just find yourself in it. Similarly, in this lifetime, we kind of just find ourselves awake, maybe as a toddler and we don't totally have you know, a developed ego. We don't totally remember where we came from. We didn't remember crossing the veil to exist here. And for some people like myself, it becomes actually really valuable to consider who we are beyond this current avatar of our current ego incarnation. That it helps us find insight or deeper meaning or needed perspective in addressing the concerns of our current life 
you know, as well as really having the courage to merge and jump even deeper into this lifetime. And so when we explore the archetypes from an evolutionary astrology perspective, we're not just looking at these kind of superficial personality things. We reference them, but we look into the deeper undercurrent reason drive behind the science, the deeper wisdom teachings of the planets. We learn about aspects and aspect theory and how to read a natal chart as a whole. You know, sometimes people who have been studying astrology on their own for years may understand how to read placements individually, but they don't know how to look at a natal chart as a whole. That's something that we also work with in this course. The course consists of pre-recorded content that is available indefinitely, and then weekly live meetings where we connect as a group to discuss the material and form community. And I have to say this particular upcoming intensive, I know a good number of people in this cohort, whether I went to grad school with them or we were in the same grad school community, um, or I knew them when I lived in other places, um, people who are, you know, in the professional kind of like spiritual, like teaching tarot world, um, and, there's some, there's some alchemy that I'm already sensing. Like I'm so excited for this group to meet and for those that are feeling called to join us. Uh, cause I think it's just going to be lit <laughs> and it pretty much always is. This course is, um, a really deep experience and students always gain more from it than they imagine, uh, because, what we cover is beyond the imagination, beyond the current imagination, and that we study the outer planets, which represent forces beyond the ordinary. Um, and we get deep into the archetypes. And when you study archetypes, they have a way of either coming alive or revealing to you layers of your experience, right? So sometimes people who are newer to astrology or maybe even several years in will be like, you know, I don't really understand the Taurus archetype that well, or I don't know that many Taurus people. When in fact you have Taurus somewhere in your chart and you definitely have Taurus experiences. And even if it is a less contacted archetype for you personally, studying it opens doorways to connect with that archetype, which is not just a change in your internal landscape, but it can actually change your life. So this course is for you if you're wanting to deepen your intimacy with astrology, to be able to read charts and source your intuition and your own kind of personal archetypal eye and lexicon to read needle charts without necessarily having to look things up, you know, or learn how to wean yourself off of needing to look everything up because you're going to be able to look at charts and feel them and open into a more relational, intimate practice with astrology and to relate to astrology in a way that it's kind of like subtle, subtle energy work, right? And you can relate to astrology for your whole life. Like I'm telling you, I'm not going anywhere. I plan on practicing astrology for my entire life um, because it's, it's just so rich and spiritually and aesthetically pleasing and opening, you know, to be able to see these cycles and to be able to source a deep understanding of the archetypes and how they're playing out in your life. Um, it just, 
it just is a way of, it's a language, it's a way of living. Um, and so I take great joy in sharing it um, and offering this intensive as a way to, you know, get your feet in this water or, you know, have your foot in one world, you know, the cosmos and then here on earth, like really bridging the realms between the as above, so below. Um, I just really love it. And if you want to learn more about this course, you can find the link in the notes to learn more about it, read student testimonials and enroll there. I'd love to have you. And, you know, don't wait till the last minute if you're feeling the call. And I will leave you to this conversation with Arakai now. everyone. I'm here with Arakai and many of you listeners are probably stoked for this collaboration to happen again. I get messages about the Arakai episodes um, long after they're even published too. So you are beloved on this podcast, Arakai, for many reasons. Um, And I'm really excited to talk to you about seduction, which is something that I feel like Throughout our friendship, you've been sharing these really inspired ideas that have been directly applicable as well. Like, Mm. I'll try them out or kind of change my relational dynamics. Um, Mm. And it's a very generative, like heart-centered, like energetically aware understanding, astrologically aware understanding of seduction. And you have a course coming out about seduction as well. So we're going to get into some of that. Um, so for anyone who's listening, um, Arakai is an amazing evolutionary astrologer, body worker, um, and I'll let you kind of introduce yourself from here. Oh, thank you so much, Sabrina, for having me on. This is uh, such a blessing and such a highlight. Um, your like mind and hearts, um, imagination and friendship is one of my absolute favorites and inspires me wildly. So, um, to be able to speak to your community and thank you guys so much for the support. I feel it. Thank you for letting me know. Um, yeah, so I'm, uh, like she said, an evolutionary astrologer. I've been living in the jungle for the past 10 years and predominantly working, um, with people, I say I'm, um, oftentimes I'm devoted to the plants and the planets. And so they are really the ones that are guiding me as well as the creatures, um, specifically the, the serpents and the dragons, uh, the iguanas, um, and any other creature that deeply, deeply, um, yeah, touches me physically and, and deep into my psyche. So I like to bring, um, my psychic filter, um, as well as, you know, the patterns that I track astrologically and with the plants and, you know, uh, fuse that with my history of martial arts and Chinese medicine, um, along with like rooting it into our bodies. And I feel like I'm very passionate about inspiring fire in people and, um, how to liberate those parts of us. And so it feels very natural for me to, um, create the seduction and power course. I feel like it's like, 
all of my like life's works thus far um, culminated. Um, and it's also just the course that I feel like I've, I was deeply needing um, and I'm still needing, I'm still going through my own course, I think over and over again. And it just keeps getting deeper and deeper. And, and um, uh, let's just, I want to start off by saying that when I say seduction, you know, a lot of people are like, why don't you change the name? You know, seduction immediately triggers people. Um, the name is, is oftentimes the first thing we think of as manipulation. Um, something fake, something manipulative, something me trying to get something over somebody else, like power over power under dynamics, that sort of thing. And so the very reason that, um, that is so deeply triggering um, and that, that we have a, um, yeah, such a collective idea of what seduction is. That is the reason I also keep it there. Um, it's the same reason that I go by star siren, uh, astrology because the sirens are also the, the archetype of the seductress. And so, um, I, I really feel very passionate about like the sacred, um, call of the seduction and of the seductress or seductor and how that actually can really bring us deeper into our souls and deeper into the ocean of our own being of desire and, um, you know, get us off our path and off our ship. And like, what would we lose ourselves for? What would we like smash up against the jagged razor sharp, you know, rocks, um, to shred our ego um, and find something that, that lies underneath and, and in those deep treasures, you know, and I feel like that's really something that seduction offers is like, this is like, in my opinion, the highest spiritual path is the path of seduction. And for me, that means it's a path of desire and attachment, like interwoven constantly, you know, all of the major religions are either devoted to desire and the body and the flesh and finding God through that, or it's oftentimes, um, devoted to de detachment and transcending the body and fasting and meditating and really reaching those higher levels of consciousness, which is so val valuable. Um, but for me, I feel like they, they are intimately woven and they cannot be taken apart, especially while we're here on earth and in these bodies. And so I feel like it's also, um, my offering to Pluto and to Pluto and, Venus and Mars, you know, um, these parts of us that represent our masculine and feminine, uh, values and deep desires and how that interfaces with our spirit and our soul and what it's, what it's calling for us. Like, why did we come here? You know, why did we incarnate, you know? Thanks for naming that right away because, um, seduction is also something that I think of as such a generous thing, like, you know, I love to seduce. I love being seduced. It's like, it is fire and it is, you know, it does invite <clears throat> inquiry into power and power dynamics and like consent and all of that. But it is nice to be like ravished, enjoyed fully or to like, like, it just feels like a kind of, uh, Leo Scorpio kind of like art form. Right. I mean, I feel like all the fixed signs in it, but to get started with seduction, what are the main components of it, you would say? Mm, that's such a good question. Um, yeah, I feel like the, like the first, I don't know if it's a question, but it's like, are you able to be seduced? And are you able to seduce? You know, I feel like there's um, like a, 
like a main, like we have a tendency towards one or the other usually. And I think that it's, it's beautiful if you can like past your edge and like understand like what, what is that tendency? Like, what do you deeply long for? It's like, that's, you know, it's kind of like Dom and sub, you know, Dom and sub, can you seduce? Can you be seduced? Um, and there's these different components of the light and the dark, masculine and feminine. Um, there's all the different elements. There's all the different astrological um, archetypes and the planets. And um, there's seduction archetypes. So there's it's really such a vast um, world. And but I feel like in this moment, just speaking to like even just those questions of like, do you do you like to be seduced or are you the one that is seducing? And like, if so, if so, why, you know, and like, do you play in the other realm? Like, do you challenge yourself? Like, do you meet your edge in these other places? Can we unpack this? Like what would, what would be the reason someone would not want to be seduced or not want to seduce? Like, what is it, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that, like if you're wanting to be seduced, it's like, you're usually wanting to be like, again, this is, there's, there's vast spectrums and and rainbows and flavors and all of this. So I'm just going to speak to like a, a general, um, very common one that I see. And if you're wanting to be seduced, there's a way in which it's like, I want to be raptured, say, I want to be taken over. I want to be guided into something deeper than I can go or experience on my own. I want to see something externalized that I don't feel like I necessarily have inside of me that I deeply long for, say. And and I want that thing to take me over because there's this mm. desire to merge, yeah. right? With that that thing or whatever it is, you know? And um, and I feel like that surrender and that rapture is quite common. And and if we want to speak about stereotypically, I do think that, you know, maybe like the being seduced could be considered more of like a receptive feminine. And it's um, interesting because the feminine is so accused too of being the seductress you know and that would be such a a resistance to being seduced because someone could just be beautiful and someone's like in the presence of that and takes offense like you've seduced me like right and that's why i think that lifting the shame and really like getting us in the game because it's like in my opinion if we're not seducing or being seduced if we're not empowered in this journey, then we're not actually playing the game. Like people are like, I don't want to play the game as I know you are playing the game. Everyone is playing the game that we are all doing these like power dynamics and these like, um, social constructed co-creative experiences. That's like the fabric of our reality is this co-creation experience. And so if you try to tap out of this co-creation, what that tells me is that you've just simply put it into your subconscious and you're probably trying to get your needs met indirectly and underhandedly. And you're probably (laughs) doing it more unintegrous than anyone else. (laughs) And, um, and that's no offense to like, like the person from the jungle who's like, coming back into society. Like, (laughs) Hey, it's all wild out here. Like totally. And, and that's also just, I totally agree with you, but I just love that. Like, you know, your life and like being in the jungle. Like I, I feel that in that transmission. Mm, I love that you feel that because I do think the earth is like, and especially the jungle. 
whew, and the caves and the, and the ocean, like they're the sexiest, most seductive, um, forms. And I think that it's really like what you spoke to about, you know, let's just say quote, like not all the masculine or anything like that, but just an archetype of the masculine projecting onto the feminine that she's being seductive and therefore manipulating. And they're trying to resist that seduction and blame or shame for something that they, you know, are losing their selves or losing their power or not knowing how to integrate or work with it. I feel like that is like deeply woven into our relationship with the earth. And it's like, that's why they blame the fairies for being evil. And that's why they blame the sirens and the mermaids for being evil. And that's why they blame parts of the earth, especially the jungle for being evil because she couldn't be controlled and she couldn't be tamed. And because she's fucking seductive like they couldn't help but to like want to lose themselves to her, you know? And so they had to most try really, really, really fucking hard. <laughs> Excuse my language. Um, welcome. But Hey, yeah, like we're, we're not PG here. <laughs> um, but they had to try really, really hard to be able to resist that high level mastery seductive quality that the, that the earth and the psychedelic essence and nature of the earth so naturally has, you know? Um, and so then coming back to the seducer, what does it take? Like what archetype wants to seduce? What's the resistance to being a seducer? The resistance to being a seducer, the seductor, seductress. I feel like oftentimes when I see people freeze in this moment, what I really love to do is have people like, dance or go into some form of trance or something. I feel like, um, I have been a pole dancer for a very long time and pole dancing is something so beautiful and so seductive, but there's something about, it's like a truly good, like seductive, musing, otherworldly performer isn't just somebody that can open that channel and do it. It's oftentimes what they can open up that channel, bring the transmission down and then bridge the gap between them and the audience, you know, bring that other person into that world, you know, and say, it's not the audience, say it's just another person. I feel like it's really challenging actually to just allow yourself to sit and anchor in your own seductive quality, create that world that you're essentially wanting to draw somebody into hold the frequency enough to where you actually like look into their eyes, fucking grounded in your body and then let them feel it. That is really challenging, um, for a society that stays out of trance a lot. And, um, oftentimes is trying to like mitigate showing expression or desire or feelings through the body. And, um, and so I think that just the freezing of letting that world be seen and actually like looking at another person and letting it hit them. You know, like there's a difference between me just speaking and then me allowing my words to like land and then allowing my eyes to like open up and like show you something else and like leave enough space to where it calls you into it. And then something else unfolds between us and then, and then we can create from there, you know? And I think so nervousness, um, embarrassment, feeling of rejection, not taking ourselves seriously. I think the, 
I'm sorry, I, I don't know if this is appropriate, but the the white culture of just like not taking ourselves seriously and joking, like joke dancing and like doing all these things that kind of like jump out of our bodies and pretend not to be serious so that we can get out of like actually bringing forth the transmission. I feel like that's such a part of our culture. Wow. It's funny too, because that phrase like, oh, don't take yourself too seriously. Like I've never been one for that. I'm pretty serious in a lot of ways. And I do feel the cultural programming to be ashamed of my seriousness, but it's also like, I'll watch myself on video when I'm really in a trance Mm -hmm. transmission. And I'm like, whoa, I'm, I'm such a serious being. And Mm -hmm. like, even if I'm being playful, it's like, I feel that programming, but it's like, I can't help it. Like that is like, you know, I spent my time in high school reading authors who were dead from other centuries. Like I have that seriousness, like deep within me, but it is that place of like rooted, like, okay, I'm going to go into a social situation and like talk about souls with people, like Mm -hmm. kind of energy. So I love that idea because we don't hear very often the permission or encouragement to take yourself seriously. But I would think too about the artists or someone with their craft. It's like, you have to put in the hours, like you have to really care and like, really show up for that. And I love like, you know, people are listening to this, but I felt so seduced by what you were just sharing because also like your embodiment of how you were sharing that and like that juiciness of being an open channel for a transmission, rooting and anchoring it into your body, sharing it with eye contact and then allowing space for the other person to be taken into that world. Mm -hmm. And I feel like The reason that I find seduction so generous and actually like, I don't Mm -hmm. feel triggered by the word, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like if, if one does not feel confident in themselves and their own boundaries, that's where you get the victimization of like, Oh, I've been seduced. Right. But if you are confident about where you're coming from, it is so enjoyable and so pleasurable to be around someone who's delightful, whose essence and whose words bring you into another realm. And to know that like, you are in a sense taking your transmission and your energy seriously if you're going to create that portal for another person. There's a beautiful tension in the air that doesn't come if we're just like nervous laughing it away too soon. A thousand percent. I feel like if you think about it, all of the people that are performing or really mastering their craft, like imagine Beyonce like not taking herself seriously. Do you think she goes up on stage or even like addresses anyone? Like she has to go in and let every cell of her being like shape shift into that part of her that she is transmitting, that she is putting forth, you know, so that the whole world sees her as that and also engages and like gets into that, you know? Right. And I feel like that's where it's like high trance level is all dancers, all musicians, all artists, all, um, sports people that are like doing high performance, high risk sports are going into trance, but, and I don't think that this is by accident, but predominant like society has been trained to, to not go into trance at all. You know, it's yeah, like, I can't even teach yoga. Logical kind of like rational. That's so interesting. Like that you're, you're correlating trance with seduction because like that is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's even like, 
to seduce myself, I go into trance mm-hmm. and it, you do enter this like other realm. Yeah. And I find that even for example, with writing, which is my main kind of artistic talent, if I'm going to assess myself in that way, um, growing up, I had the vision, the idea that like a lot of writers in history were depressive, melancholic people who felt socially isolated. And I was like, damn, like this is my talent, but I don't want that life for myself. I want to combine writing with seduction. Like mm. I want to feel sensual about my language. I want to enjoy my writing process. Like I want this to be sexy. I want to like uh, inspire a group of people at an open mic. Like I want to captivate an yes. audience with my words. And so I may not be a musician who I more readily see as a seductive archetype, but I can do that with writing. And so that's informed my whole writing style in a sense is like getting into trance states in my writing practice. And now I just drop straight into it for the most part. Like I don't have to try, but when I was building that channel, it was like, what words feel pleasurable to me? How do they feel in my body? And like hypnotizing myself with language, right? And I don't think people teach that. That was just something I did because I was like, I'm Pisces, baby. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like I want the seductive path, but gonna have to figure it out with writing. Which it makes sense to me. Like for one, Mercury and Pisces, I think is just this like poetic, otherworldly, um, magically encoded language um and i think that neptune itself like itself is so highly seductive i often feel like the sirens represent neptune and the moon you know being this otherworldly like what do you spiritualize what do you idealize how does that like bring you into deeper connection and like transcendence and then also how does that bring you into this like disillusionment and like this foggy haze and everything but i feel like our words should be seductive like our words are what's creating reality and so i think that there's been like this really um yeah, like this huge break in like being able to have our spiritual life really, truly embodied in our physicality and in our, and and, and how that integrates into our actual like life, home life, friends, family, all these things. And I do think, you know, the artists usually always have this, um, loneliness, this ex communication of something, these, you know, darker, um, experiences of feeling alone and isolated and, and oftentimes like tormented by their own muses and creativity. And I do think that that is, um, yeah, like found somewhere on the place of, um, how that's integrated in the body. Like what you were saying of like, are these words, juicy are these words hypnotizing are these words bringing me into a state of being not just like am i stimulating this conceptual idea am i stimulating people in these you know because a lot of times people can be like seduction is illusion and yes that can be but that's when it's separated from the actual state and actual feeling because it's actually you know when they studied um trance and and fire in all these like high performance sports, you know, it's like big wave surfers is like, that is where you are in trance. And that is where they can surf and do these crazy things that for anyone else, they would have died. But it's like in that moment, they're so deep in trance that something else can like be birthed. That's like revolutionary to the human experience. Like they like jump leaps and bounds, 
um, from, you know, say the last world record, um, for say like 30 or 40 years, there's a certain thing and they're just like barely getting better, barely getting better. And then there's like this huge jump. And that's because I feel like there's this deep sense of trance that can actually like bring us out of, you know, like the Saturn, um, gravity, um, results, constrictions, um, like this physical dimension and that, that Neptune imagination and trance brings us into creating a whole new, uh, realm of possibilities. Right. Yeah. So take us to the outer planets. Like how do they relate to seduction? Um, so the outer planets, I feel like, and, and speaking to what I was saying about, like, this is my offering of devotion to Pluto. Um, and then to also, you know, specifically Mars and Venus, but really it can be all of the outer planets. And I really do, um, in the course I take every week as a planetary initiation. Um, because I think that the outer planets are really bringing us into these initiations of, um, like for instance, Pluto is like, what do you deeply desire? Like, what is your deepest soul desire and why did you incarnate? You know? And so it brings up these cravings and aversions and it's like the places where we're like longing and, and then we're like pushing it away from it and we see it outside of ourselves and then we think we have it and then it dissolves before our fingers and we're like, it's never going to happen. We get all this turmoil, turmoil and, and torment from it, but it's like really trying to like refine us, you know, um, to source that power within us, you know, to, to really be alchemized and stripped of that fight of that clinging of that, um, um, of that experience of meeting it externally. And, and I, and then we can't skip it though. We can't skip the like externalization part and like that, like merging that happens. And I feel like that's like where we have like Venus and Mars is like, what do we really long for? And like, what do we really value? And how do we want to receive and be touched? And like Mars is like, what do we really desire and how are we going to actualize and propel us and like penetrate ourselves through this consciousness, you know, and how are those things going to interface with our soul, you know? And so to me, it's like our flesh and our desires, our body, our sexuality, our base human, um, needs and desires should be something that is propelling us towards our soul. Like that's what it is. And it's been really devastating that most of the major religions have absolutely shamed that and have worked so hard to wow. shame Venus and Mars and put them in like a collective consciousness prison or something to like really imprison us in this like lower octave version to not trust our bodies and to not trust our, our desires in this way. And so I think that, um, you know, bringing, bringing Venus and Mars back to Pluto and being in that relationship where they can also be humbled, also know when to detach. So it's like, go for your desires and also detach from them and be in that dance at all times. Because it's like, sometimes people are like, well, I went for my desires and then this is what happened. It's like, but there's always going to be a time where you went for it and then you got fixated maybe and you maybe stayed like four years past the time you were supposed to do it or something um you know depending on well, how slow us we are at learning too, you know this idea of trusting the body and trusting the self and it's like there is that deep 
inner core or like this wisdom or this inner knowing. And then there's the addictive compulsive, like ego mind. And I think there's a practice of refinement and purification, which is a strange word to use. Cause I think that is also loaded like the word seduction, but purification just in the sense of like, you know, purification by fire. Like I, I think if you stare into a fire, your consciousness cannot help, but be transformed. Like mm-hmm. try anyone listening, try to keep an ordinary state of consciousness looking into a fire. You simply can't do it. Right. And so like that way of like looking into something or being in touch with something so deep that these layers of untruth come off. And I think that when people, you know, like I like to use the example in teaching of like, say someone who's like a very high up, like public official, and they have some kind of sex scandal. And it's like that thing like was that erotic yearning was calling them. And part of the alchemy of that was that it was probably something that could destroy their public image. Yeah, Like there was some level of falsity because you do have people in the public who are just very upfront about their sexuality. Like it doesn't matter if a sex tape gets leaked of them because they're already flaunting it, you know, like they're already in it, but you have someone who's high up in a public way. Who's like very boxed in, very respectable, very professional, but their soul, like a part of them is drawn toward this sabotaging, like, sex scandal it's like the soul does like kind of work like that and the more intensely repressed we are the more intense we need those kind of tower catharsis destructive moments and so i think that part is like i've noticed that the game gets like a little bit more subtle and subtle like i'll follow my own desires you know and have such deep like experiences of the universe talking to me or like parts of my ego coming off and I'm just like trusting that path and working with it. But it's not about getting fixated on making the desire happen no matter what. Sometimes you get on the path and you realize that, you know, this isn't for me, but there was something about that desire that was the hypnotic or seductive language for your soul to start getting on the path. But then you had new experiences, new lessons and the path refined itself But if we don't even listen to the desire in the first place, because we're like, that's crazy or that's wrong or that's sinful or whatever word, then we're never going to go on that exploration path. Right. Yeah. We don't understand or we never see what it unfolds as, you know, oftentimes it's like, it's not that scary. It's not that bad. Once you just like, like open into it and allow the shame and allow the, all the things that are going to reveal itself. And that's why I think it's so powerful to, um, be in this, like the path of seduction, um, journey, because it's, it's like people that are trying to tap out of it. Like, Oh, I don't like those games and all those things. Well, I hope nobody really does, but, um, we're going to play them if we're not conscious about them. Um, and I think that if we can really be, in the journey and awaken and lucid inside of the dream, then we can start to make different decisions and we can really allow the dream to teach us and, and start to shift. And, um, the planets I feel like are the, the place where the collective, um, meets the individual and where the spirit meets the ego and how our like inner planets, those, you know, closest to the sun and, um, representing our core 
like egoic self that we identify with is constantly interfacing with this grander force that humbles us. We have to be really, truly humbled. And I think that that's the tendency of pushing away from it or trying to control it or just feeling victimized by it or something like that is really strong. Um, and especially because we don't all have a personal relationship with these planets. And, you know, I know for me, it's actually taken a long time of being in relationship with the planets to truly come to this place where I feel like I've well completely been shredded and humbled and like, Pluto did take the one thing or the many things away from me that I never wanted to lose. And I've finally like released and surrendered and seen the majesty of Saturn and Pluto and Uranus and Neptune, all of which I used to have very like trauma responses to. Like when they would come around, I would, I would see so many things psychically um, in conjunction to those planets because of the human's karma with those planets, because of my own personal trauma, karma, drama with those planets that, um, I would be somewhat afraid of them, um, be somewhat resistant to their medicine. And I, I relate it to like taking ayahuasca and then like fighting her or something instead of like courting her to where you're so ready to take her in that there's no fight that you're like, fucking penetrate every cell of my being go into my kidneys and vibrate them like a psychedelic caterpillar and if like lightning like vomit needs to come out of me or whatever it is like do it you know and I'm not gonna like resist it and I feel like so much of that you know I have really expansive journeys because of that I don't fear her and I don't shut my visions down like when it's like getting really really crazy and intense um And so I feel like now I can see the same thing as the planets when they're coming towards me. I like genuinely trust them. Like I know that if Pluto shreds and burns and kills or anything as, as intense as sometimes Pluto's initiations are, I I really truly believe that he's doing that in order to really bring me into my highest. And, um, and the same thing, like every relationship Neptune dissolves and every belief system and religion and, um, whatever that Neptune dissolves and, um, disillusions me from, it's like really, truly bringing me into deeper, like actually mystery and magic, you know, of the state of consciousness, you know? So anyways, I just feel like, um, developing a personal relationship with these planets is so helpful along this journey. That was so inspired. Like I was getting chills and Mm. I, um, I (laughs) just even like the language, like from a writer perspective, that like psychedelic caterpillar, like you sent me like Mm. come back to myself, but I like have the blessing in my life of being able to just chat with you and like have phone calls with you and like, hear your perspectives like I may be kind of like tripping about something I'm like having an anxiety or like some relational thing and you like reframe it in such an inspired way so you do create that kind of realm but something recently that you know I want to bring in kind of like the the masculine and feminine dynamics that you talk about because I feel like I'm I gain and learn so much every time you talk about it just like how the masculine feminine energetics play in the seduction 
story and how that how that manifests in the individual with the inner masculine and inner feminine. Yeah, so I feel like the inner masculine and feminine is like this really delicious, beautiful and very confusing, um, ever unfolding dance. And for me right now, I've, I've really, especially since the Mars retrograde, just really been opening up into, um, seeing my masculine side and, and really understanding just how he has not been seen and how he's not been validated and all of his needs and all of these things that, um, have been really shut down since, um, I looked like a little mermaid (laughs) since I was little, you know, kind of thing. And so, um, I feel like I've, I've really been in this journey to, to understand what they like, what my inner masculine and feminine really want. And, um, I feel like astrology is always like, that's a big part of why I love astrology is like, we have different characters inside of us and, um, and it's not just characters like it's make believe it's like we are in past, present, future timelines all the time, you know? And so something about being psychic is sometimes like moments happen and I can like see the past, present and future timelines and how they're all intersecting in these, these specific moments. And I think every, every moment is probably like that, but I think that some moments are able to be pulled apart and slowed down and like, we can go into those places. And I think that it's, it's not just like we're acting out these characters. I really do think that we are able to access all of these different potentially past or future lives um, embodiments of us, or maybe even like ancestral, um, beings, um, or different and yeah, like ancestral, um, influences that are uh, residing in our DNA and in our, in our blood, you know? And so I, I think that it's a really powerful, um, piece to understand, like, what do we embody in our physical and like social world, um, what gender do we identify with? What gender do people see us as? It might be very different than what we identify. Um, and that's why this non-binary and transgender experiences, I feel like are, is, is so deeply liberating, especially coming into this, this cycle of Aquarius that we're moving into. Um, I think that pulling these pieces apart is going to really help us with this seduction seduction specifically because seduction is, is it's very important of like, what are we really wanting to seduce and why, where are we going? Where are we bringing people? And, um, what world do we want to be seduced into and why? And is it further perpetuating our trauma, drama, karma, are we stuck in K2 in the South node? Are we just like, you know, feeding off of that? Um, I want to open that for a moment because that was one of the things that you shared that has really influenced my, my worldview of like how, when we are engaging sexual energy, like receiving it, giving it, creating it, like, is it feeding our creativity and our muses and our visionary side, or are we feeding that into our wounds? And that was really big. Cause I could see then after that, at the energetic level, like where that is happening. Um, but I wasn't thinking about it in that succinct right. or clear way before right. you named it. 
And it's just really interesting to think about that of like sexual energy, like coming in, for example, like receiving uh, sexual kind of like energy. I'm speaking of that from the feminine experience too. So like literally being penetrated and then like, that's a receptive thing. And then now that I have that energy coursing through me, cause I don't believe it just evaporates. It is there. Is it something that I'm playing with and creating with and like visioning with, or am I like curdling with it into like feeding my wounds? Right. And I feel like that's such an energetic, like as soon as you named it, I'm like, that is true. That's already happened my entire like sexual life. Like, but why don't people talk about that? Like we act like sex is more mundane than it is, you know, as opposed to like just illuminating that simple energetic. But then when you, you speak of it in the world as like, are we feeding the karma drama trauma or what, you know? Yeah. Or are we, are we really feeding our Dharma? Are we feeding like the, the realms that we've come here to embody? Like to me, it's like, I've come here with all of, like I said, the past, present and future, all accessible inside of this physical body and this physical moment. And so what realms am I allied to? This is for me anyways. And, and this might be different languaging for other people. Um, for me, it's like, I'm very clear as to what realms I'm here to embody, what, um, beings I'm wanting to build the bridge to in order for them to come back and, and anchor themselves on earth again in this dimension and, and help the earth and myself. I want to evolve, you know, my physical form into these higher dimensional states that I already know I'm living, you know, whether it's in the future, whether it's in the past, I don't know. But when I see it, it's like there, I, I so remember, you know, those, that skin, those scales, the, the, um, yeah, like avatar, kind of world and connection. And it's, and I, when I go out into nature, it's like, I know the plants and I know the caves and it's like, they all remember it too. And we're only seeing, you know, the humans for some reason are only seeing so much of reality. Our, our magnetite crystals in our brains have stopped uh, working essentially. And, and we have stopped, most humans have stopped being able to actually move in the electrical magnetic frequency of the earth and feel them. And so I feel like that also shifts the way that not only we move, but it shifts the way that we actually see physical reality and that we're able to, uh, work with it. And so I think that that is kind of big and like, you know, a vast conversation, but, um, I think that sexuality is a really big part of, um, how we're working with that. Like what you were saying is like, why do we not speak about these things with sex? Because sex is like sex and emotional energy is the most potent form of energy that we have readily available to us all the time to feed this core creative energy that is our body. And then that feeds everything that we do <laughs> everything that we say and how we create our existence, right? How we create our reality. And so if we are not conscious in how we're plugging it in to whatever we're plugging it in, like, I feel like what you were saying about the feminine re receiving that. And then like, where are you feeding that reminds me of like what the cave has been teaching me. She's like, if you are opening to all these realms and there's the masculine, it's like the masculine is meant to be opening 
to the realms to like opening its crown to the realms and penetrating, like channeling it through the body and penetrating, feeding the, the feminine, you know, imagine the pan, like playing the flute to the flower as she blooms or something. It's like, that's, that's that dance of, of Shiva Shakti in my opinion, at least like the one aspect of it. Right. And I feel like what she was showing me is that when you open up to all the realms that you can channel that I'm allied with, um, and penetrate a woman and she receives all of that energy. If she is not grounded in the realms that she's meant to feed, it's going to go into Maya illusion, karma, drama, trauma, you know? And that's oftentimes you get these big, like orgasmic, like orgasm, orgasm, orgasms, orgasms. And it's super powerful. And right there, I'm like, we could create anything with this amount of energy. Like there's so much healing and so much creation that can happen with when we cultivate sexual energy in that way. But if the vessel is not able to hold it and channel it into the directions, into the, um, portals that we're really wanting to, then oftentimes it gets self-destructive and it goes into addictive codependent, um, patterns like immediate shutdowns and immediate, like sabotaging shame and trauma, um, ensues. And it's like, Oh my God, it's so sad. Why does that happen? And then it's like, Oh, okay. Well then like, what's the part of the masculine and like having that discernment, you know? And so I do think that, um, whatever roles we're playing, what is part of the masculine and having that discernment? Um, well, for me personally, in the, in that moment, I feel like Saturn is trying to show me, it's like, you know, they're not able to hold it, but because I'm giving it to women who are unable to hold that amount of power and energy, then I'm actually not able to hold it either because I'm not discerning like how I'm giving my energy and how much and like what vessel I'm allowing the, like, like if I'm allied to the realms of the dragons and the, you know, the deep jungles, if, if I'm channeling their energy and I'm putting it into a woman sexually, or say I'm just massaging them and I'm singing to them and I'm doing that. But if they're not, if the proper container isn't held for that and, and they choose to go leak that out into all these destructive forces, then I'm a sense, I'm in a sense taking from the dragon, I'm taking from the psychedelic plants I'm taking from the caves and I'm giving it to humans that are unable to actually feed them back to feed me back and to feed them back. And so that's what I mean by discernment and, and like the Saturn initiation of constriction and consolidation and refinement of like, if I see that these women that I, I see have some sort of codes that are resonant to say the dragons in the jungle and the cave. Sorry if this is super cryptic for people, but, um, no, and you're speaking literally here too. Yeah. Yeah. Like it doesn't sound cryptic. Oh, okay, cool. (laughs) You literally mean like the energy of the dragons and the caves and that that comes through you and that's part of your transmission. And you've been going through a discernment process of seeing how people receive that immensity of that energy that's moving through you and then how you subsequently discern whether or not you give that. And I find Mm -hmm. that that dynamic, I mean, I can just relate to that in terms of like a social dynamic at large where there's like so much 
trauma, drama around like masculine feminine relations and a sense of like, um, if someone is in a highly like say victimized state of consciousness, it can be like, there's a discernment of like, can I give to this person or will my engaging and like gifting to this person be received in this kind of distorted way? And then not, you know, and so for me, even like in, I want to like pull this thought together. Like, I feel like since being a child, I've been super aware of kind of like the dynamic of like sexual violence, like existing in the collective. And I would like, I just felt that shadow everywhere. And I felt like largely, you know, feminine beings being afraid of it happening and masculine beings either being kind of unaware of it until later, like the me too kind of thing, or being afraid of being seen as the perpetrator. And I had realized that in order to receive from the masculine, if I so desired a particular, you know, masculine or the masculine in general, that it was important to be really like firm in my sovereignty and to like really invite the masculine in and be very clear, like, this is what I desire. And that like being in that place of like, I'm scared or I don't feel safe the kind of masculine energy that I would want would stay away or not try to penetrate me in that space. Only someone who's in a predatory state of consciousness would try to mess with me when I'm in that space. And so I felt that there's kind of like a masculine discernment in the culture at large of like, how can I be sexual with someone in a way that's not going to be read as abuse? And like that kind of, you know? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Because um, there is this this way in which as a uh, society, we have shamed uh, desire so much, especially for women, that there's this cultural norm. It's changing, obviously, but that women aren't to admit they want it and they're to pretend that they don't want it. And in fact, there's like, if I say no, that means try harder and keep trying. And then I actually do want it a little bit or no, I don't. And and so there's these like wishy-washy things. And this is actually a really good example, I think, as to what I feel like I see a lot of is that people really don't want to take responsibility for what they want and what they are also actually taking. So because they don't want it to mean a certain da, 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 like if I do this, then I don't, I don't want this, this, and this, but they'll try to, instead of addressing that and then creating a space where that other person can be like, Oh, okay, well, this is what I do want. And then they can like collaborate in an empowered way. Right. Um, both sides, if we want to just make it simple of the heterosexual monogamy situation of men and women that we've been under for this fellow for thousands of years, um, of just like pretending to, to do these things and get their needs met indirectly. And then eventually lash out at each other of like who wins and who doesn't win. And then the person is like, Oh, I didn't know that. And I, how was I supposed to know? And then like, then you get the stereotypical, like masculine being like, raw, like, fuck you did know, you know, and it's like so angry. And then I do think that they can be all different forms. It doesn't have to be men and women. Just this part here about like honesty or transparency, self-honesty and like claiming desire and not being ashamed of it. And then when we fully approve of it, we can like, 
share it in how we show up in the world. And I want to like talk about this too, because this is another thing we had wanted to talk about was like, what does it mean to be in touch with your sexual core, like your sexual energy and express that directly in the world um, as opposed to that being some secret compartment of you? Right. Um, Yeah, I do think that's a good segue of this because I do think that if we are bringing it out on like, we, we always say like, uh, I say Scorpio, like is the undercurrents and it's like, everything is like under the table, you know? And it's like Scorpio is trying to bring it onto the table, um, so that we can work with it so that we can know what it is and, and bring it out of the conscious or out of the subconscious, out of the unconscious behaviors. And, um, I feel like so much, responsibility. And that's why I think it's so powerful. I'm just going to reiterate that seduction is such a powerful path, um, of spirituality, because if we are really, truly responsible for our needs and our desires, then imagine that person that's being seduced, they're going to be responsible for why they're allowing themselves to be seduced. And at any moment, they're going to be able to make boundaries. They're going to be empowered in their receptivity. You know, they're going to be able to detach if that's not happening, same with the person that's being the seductor, you know, it's, or the seductress. It's like, uh, what I was saying about finding the women that somewhat have those codes. I can tell they've been in those realms. They have some level of sexual power, some, you know, they're trackers, they know, you know, the psychology and the social dynamics. And then it's like, but actually being able to be responsible for how I go for them, how I desire them. And then, am I really discerning and watching when they show me that they're not actually going to do this without playing power games, without manipulating, you know, calling us both into integrity and watching their response and then choosing to make boundaries, choosing to, um, detach. And that's why I think that like both the seduct, D and the seductor. Is that right? Um, anyways, the one being seduced and the one seducing, if they have that really strong level of responsibility, then that's where the, um, the game can happen. Like I just am getting this energy where it's like, you see someone seeing you like, you're like, Oh, you caught that. Like Mm -hmm. we're playing this game because I've, it does feel like there's these signals and they can also be very direct. Like you can just say things, but their seduction sometimes I feel like is this art form where there is a subtlety to it, but it's just kind of like being in that moment, that shared moment, uh, say that portal that has been opened with the eye contact and someone being very rooted and they're opening into another world. And it's like, you're tracking the same things together. And I feel like that does invite, you know, having good boundaries, like something that I'll name is like, I had to intentionally learn how to exit conversations because I had a problem with that. Like I felt bad leaving a conversation because we'd be, I'd be having a deep conversation with someone and I wouldn't want to make them feel bad. Like I have all this Pisces stuff going on. It's like, we're just in such a deep space. I can't end it, you know? Mm. And I learned, I read in a book, like it was this, all these essays about eye contact and one of the suggestions it was giving, it was like an article, it was written for women in this kind of like heterosexual way, but it was basically saying that like, if a man is 
flirting with you and you're not into it, that instead of shaming him and shaming his desire, like you can choose this queenly expression to kind of like give him energy and this kind of like, you know, this was a great conversation, like have a great rest of your night kind of energy where it's like you give them a little bit of fire and you politely take your leave. And then, you know, I would try it out basically. Like it was a code. I was like, oh, now instead of feeling cornered and victimized because this conversation's going on and I don't, I'm done or I'm trying to get away, but I'm not, you know, it's like the other person may be enjoying themselves and I'm still giving them eye contact. I'm still super present with them, but I hadn't yet at a technical level and such a nerdy technical, like mercurial <laughs> level, just learned to exit the conversation when I felt like it. Right. And as soon as I learned that, I felt that much more open to having conversations with people because I was like, now I can exit when I want. Right. And because of that, like, I just think it's interesting with the seduction games. It's like, we, maybe we think these things just happen naturally, but if you study them and think about them mm-hmm. at a kind of nerdy level, you actually can play a different kind of game in life Yeah, and have more agency in how you move and how you exit as well. And I think of something too, of just, um, what you're saying, like the seduction games. And I understand why you're saying that because it it does feel kind of like a co-creative mythological game, um, that makes reality like really interesting to me. But I also think that it's important for me to note that it, it's really important to be authentic. And what you're saying is like, you're really authentically having a deep conversation and deep connection with these people. But at a certain point, it starts to be draining and it doesn't have to be anything that they're doing. But when we override that immediately, we've put ourselves and the other person in this codependent dynamic and in this dynamic that's draining. And so when anything's draining, it's codependent. When anything's codependent, it's going to be creating something that is in a lower octave for both people. So we've taken it out of the realms of being able to be in this high, higher octave anyways, because we have all these like social, like shoulds and shouldn'ts and shames and guilt around it, you know? And, um, I think that that's something that's really powerful about this work with seduction for me is that like, oftentimes if I'm really being real, then I actually do have a lot more boundaries. I actually do have a lot more. No, this is, this is my yes. And this is my no. And when I permission myself to be in that, I was thinking that it was going to be less seductive. Like that's just me being a bitch, but it's actually more. Yeah. And, and when we leave and people are still wanting, (laughs) like, this is something I need to learn actually, like, cause I have like a high capacity of like talking and doing anything really. And so my a hundred percent is like usually, or like other people's hundred percent is usually like my 60% or something. And so if I could just make myself stop at 60% (laughs) before people reach their hundred, then like some, I feel like there would be this way in which they're, they're able to exit still wanting more. And, um, it kind of makes me think though, too, of just like when it's inauthentic to leave, cause you're trying to like, let someone want more. Like it is actually the seductive thing. The aphrodisiac is honesty where it's like, right. you're actually, and then it doesn't have to be, it's not some weird game that's taking you out of yourself. It's, but it is the, 
the work of knowing who you are and being able to read your own signals and knowing when you're tired and want to leave or knowing when you want to keep going, even though you've already been talking to someone for two hours and you thought it would be cool if you left like in the first 20 minutes or something like that, but you're just being yourself. And even if we bring this into sexuality too, I think that because sex is such a deep energetic space that you know, there's this energy current that is connected to our honesty and our authenticity. And when we start to get into a performative space or doing something that isn't totally true to us. Yeah. That they want. And so we try to conjure it up, but we're like, Oh, I don't really have the energy. Yeah. I just think about that from a magical perspective where it's like, not as necessarily anything horrendous, like not to be like creating fear around it, but just that sense of like, wait, in this creative space, I'm creating something inauthentic versus like, what about the deep vulnerability and hotness of being so honest in this moment and then actually feeling the wave of that like crest into my day and my days following Right, because that was authentic sex magic mm. as opposed to being in a performative space. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like with like honing in that mastery of like, how is every moment, but especially sex feeding us and, and how are we harvesting the orgasms? How are we, how are we sharing it and holding it in that space so that we can then both like fuel, you know, our lives, I think is, is revolutionary for humans. Um, but what you were speaking to is I think really important because you're saying that it's really super sexy to be authentic and, and like that is what creates so much of the magic. And I do think that is true, but it is also interesting that there is a little bit of a dance between being very authentic and just doing what's natural and that being the thing that feeds the energy and like allows us to be in trance and and all of that. But also the other pieces we are with this other person and not the the journey of the mastery piece comes into it's like if we are trying to calculate how they're perceiving us and when they want us to stop and am I stopping at the 60% before they reach 100% or whatever it is sometimes that gets a little wonky and sometimes we create things that like we stop too soon and like we're out of trance and we're out of flow with the person because they actually wanted us to give them more or something but I do think that there is a piece where um that heightened ability to be in trance, be in your own expression, be in your own flow and be really masterful at reading the other person. And is it actually called for that we're speaking for this amount of time? It might be really authentic for me, but it might not be fully able to be received from the other person. And just coming from an accelerating ADHD, um, super intense, uh, person as myself, I think that, that cultivating that place where I also, I don't have to give everything right away, you right. know, there can be some, and, and sometimes that would feel like in the beginning of, of working on this would feel inauthentic or might feel calculated or something. But really, if you go back to those moments, I feel like there's always these moments where you know that the energy is like leaking or that the, or you're talking too much or that you're not being received. And so that's where that dance comes in of like, are you really fucking able to like be like raptured and then give and penetrate the feminine? But are you also able to like 
listen to every subtlety and be able to like dance side of that and be really sensitive. Um, that's a really hard place. I think for, yeah. for us to find when we're in that, uh, giving role and it's well worth it going back to the me too and consensual things. <laughs> well, it's interesting, like to pick up with the authenticity part. I think it's interesting because there could be the, you know, where you're currently at, what you're currently reading. And there's also the channel that's opening up. So sometimes authenticity does involve being surprised by what's in the moment. And then to speak to what you're saying about like that balance of being in a giving role and also so sensitive to how that's being received. And I feel like you just illustrated that really beautifully and kind of added a lot of complexity and humanity. And I mean, because it's you also like otherworldliness, not just humanity, but like, by that, I mean, like there's a, a compassion and a complexity that you're giving it. Right. I think, um, yeah, that just, that's inspiring. And that gives me a lot to think about. Mm. So can you share an example perhaps of like a behavior or a relational pattern that is kind of uh, dysfunctional and like what the seductive transformation version of it would be? Mm. And maybe just by dysfunctional, it's not accomplishing the desire. Right. Okay. So I think that the first one that comes to my mind is I, I would say it's like more found readily inside of like a victimized feminine or, um, like the embittered, like not satisfied feminine, um, that's longing for something, but instead of, um, like magnetizing or drawing or like really like staying grounded and rooted inside of like what it is that they are longing for. Um, they get into the sense of, um, I'm using they just to, um, what is it magnify or amplify the fact that the, that feminine experience can, can be found in many, um, bodies and expressions. And, um, and I think it's really interesting when the, the shift of wanting something goes into, you're not giving it to me. Why not? And instead of this move, I guess you guys can't see me, but I'm, I'm pushing my hands out. And I often relate this to like a cancerian experience of like giving so much and caretaking being this juicy, like mama ocean, like, um, yeah, delicious caretaker, um, sensual and, and nurturing. And then all of a sudden being like, they're not giving back to me. They're not giving me what I want. And they're pushing and their energy itself starts to push out and defend. And, and it's almost like, why are you not doing this and see you never do this or you, you know, it could, it could be done in many ways, but I think what I really notice that is really important is the energetic shift into the longing is like this, like I want, and you're like grabbing, you're putting your hands out and you're like grabbing something to you, you know, imagine that you're like grabbing the energy and you're drawing it into your heart. Want it to go all the way from your heart down into your core, down into your root. You really want something, you know, 
and you're open to it coming. But when you get into that, like, why are you not doing that? You should be wanting to do that. It's like normal that I would want this. It's like absolutely normal that I would want this in this situation. And then you start to defend yourself. And, you know, we get in these, those situations where, um, like, especially if we're in monogamous relationships and it's like, you're supposed to take care of my needs, <laughs> um, in these certain ways. And I'm, dying. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, um, not that I could relate at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I feel like when that energy starts to get pushed and starts to defend, we oftentimes also say we even jump into our more masculine energy and it starts to, I'll take care of it. I'll do this. And I'm going to like meet this energy with these kind of pushing forms of, um, can you show up for me? Are you going to prove yourself to me? I don't know if I can relax and surrender anything because I don't know if anyone has my back or like you, you know, it gets into this more like demanding push challenge. And, um, I oftentimes feel like sometimes like with my friends or my clients, it's like, they're like expressing how they really, really want, you know, like this man to come and just like give to them and like court them and fucking show up for them and work for them and do these things, you know, and like really fuck them. Right. You know? (laughs) And, um, and all the while though, I'm like watching them and they're, you know, and, and engaging with them and I'm like, Oh, but they're so in this kind of like masculine energy that feels very pushing um, against mine and feels very, um, challenging and, and like, you know, that feminine feels like sunk back down, but like unaccessible and like kind of bitter. (laughs) And I feel like that, that those are two dynamics that I just pointed out, but I feel like the one being the victimized feminine that starts to push and defend and blame, um, can no longer be magnetizing, can no longer be truly feminine in the way of like drawing it in and being like, give it to me. I want to like receive, like I want to drink from you, you know, um, that hinders their ability to be seductive. Like they can't call what they want into them if they're pushing and fighting essentially, um, because that the energy is going out. Right. And then I think, so I, I feel like that ultimately is a sabotaging response. It's understandable. We all do it, I think. And then it's just, um, you know, like say for instance, uh, when a woman, is, I, I'm only saying woman cause like that's my personal experience when I'm having sex, but, um, when they're having sex and their partner doesn't do something that they want, um, they're like, no, not like that. No, I don't want to like that you know, it's kind of like this, like, no, that doesn't feel good. Like do it, you know, this kind of like pushing. And, um, and I would always be like, you know, you could get me to literally do anything you want. If you just like share what you want with this energy of like, give it to me. Like, Ooh, I like it when you do this or, Ooh, I want this. Or like, just draw me into, because I feel like when you're in the moment of intimacy and you get this big push and shut down and there's all these say their entire life's worth of like not being pleased in the way that they want and comes up in an instant. It's really, it's really intense to interface with that when you're in this deep moment of like merging and intimacy, it's like, Whoa, like this huge wall of separation comes in. And so there's these, um, ways in which you're almost like separating from the the journey. It's a dance 
And that's why I think it's somewhat a victimized response because it's like no longer a dance. You're not only co-creating the experience. You're like, give it to me. You figure it out. You turn me on. You touch me right. You know, which it's like we. I want to, but like there's um there's like a really seductive way of magnetizing and and staying in the game of the dance and that I think is is like a super sexy seductive way of responding. Yeah. Wow. This message actually had come to me this summer. I think it was of just like hearing um, a panel and someone saying that women are victimized by their desires or they can be, uh, they often are like the person on the panel was saying. And then um, another person agreed and he was saying like, yeah, touch me there, but not there. And he like embodied exactly what you said. And that just like shattered me. Cause I was like, Ooh, I know I can do that, you know? And so it got me to kind of have to like reframe in my mind instead of being an aversion or like, don't touch me like that. Thinking about, well, what do I actually want? And then to ask for it from a place that's clean, like not victimized essentially. Mm -hmm. So like, can you do this? Like from this kind of like, I want this like Mm -hmm. invitation place. And that totally was like my Saturn return conjunct Lilith, like, like a maturation lesson totally. because I just like needed it framed that way. But that sense of like, there's a little bit of work involved in like understanding your own body and like how you like to be touched and, you know, the whole like stereotypical, you know, please read my mind. I want you to be like the expert. And I don't want to tell you, you know, like that, like letting that go as like an immature dream yeah. as juicy and kind of like, magical as it seems to be swept away without having to do any work but to like actually go into the mysteries of like how do I want to be touched and like find a way to ask and invite for that yeah um and that's it doesn't seem as immediately sexy I think to the youthful feminine psyche as like Mm. take me and be so good at it that I don't have to tell you anything yeah I can just dissolve and be in this (laughs) otherworldly trance having multiple orgasms and you're just like doing it (laughs) and to be honest like to just be very like upfront like in my early 20s I chose lovers on purpose who were like older men post-Saturn return like in their 30s early 40s because I wanted to be just like ravished by someone who was like expert and the interesting thing is that those relationships had some challenges because of that age difference that, you know, I don't know if like, I don't think when I look back on them, I'm not like, Oh, I was taken advantage of. I totally don't believe that it was, I was in my sovereignty. I courted those people. I invited them. Like it's none of that. But I do think that at my maturation level, you know, if things weren't going well between like there was a little dip or like an on and off kind of thing. I took it so hard Mm -hmm. in the way a 22 year old or something would. And they're like in their late thirties and they don't care, you know? And so like, it was a power dynamic that I invited in, but as I've gotten older, I look back on it and I'm like, wow, like all of that, just because I didn't want to take the responsibility to know how I want to be touched. I just wanted some expert man to do it for me. And I went ahead and got that. And which is so, taking responsibility in a, in, in a lot of ways. I mean, that yeah. is pretty like no, responsible. But in, no, but honestly, <laughs> to be like, this is what I want. I'm going to get that. <laughs> I did. Right. But in the aftermath, you know, it took me time to kind of like come back 
to myself because mm-hmm. I really grieved the loss of some of those lovers of right. like, oh, they touched me in the way, you know, and I had to like study Tantra and like do sex education for myself totally. to be like, what did they know and how, you know, and find it in myself so that instead of relying on this like masterful external other who is just some like sex God that I, you know, whatever I could like create those positive sexual experiences at a more equal level um, and like be more of a like participant in terms of inviting specific things instead of just being like, you're an expert, you're older, you know, show me. <laughs> but actually what you're speaking to is perfect because it shows like what we're, I was speaking to about the Pluto experience of like, we can't actually skip the part where it is externalized and we experience the codes or the transmission and the merging and the alchemy in this external, um, meaning. And then there's a moment where they get ripped away from us. And then there's all the karma, drama, trauma and the fighting it and attaching and all those sort of stuff that arises. Um, when we're not so like aware of, this ripping apart being a part of the process, I think. And then there's that resourcing from inside. And so I think that that's so cool that you like, even though you see the part where you were like looking for something external and then you still needed to empower yourself in a different way. I also still see the like mastery yeah. or like the wisdom oh, yeah. inside of like going to find it externally breaking, you know, receiving it, getting the transmission in your body and then also doing the actual work to like get it. (laughs) Definitely. It's funny because I look back and I can see some of the error of my ways or something. But at the same time, I know that my younger self really wanted to feel that energy in her body. Like that erotic awakening has fueled everything in my life. Like just experiencing these like peak erotic moments have funneled my creativity throughout this decade of my life. And it's interesting because it's like, I'll talk about it here and there, but it is like, it is directly behind because I would, you know, have these amazing experiences and then come back to ordinary life and be like, I have to develop myself and like follow my dreams and become this version of myself because I need to live here always. Like that is like the way to do it. I'm so proud of you. And I also think that it shows so much um, of why, like you were like, I don't shy away from seduction. I don't think it's evil. I, I do own my desires and am like not in a constant state of shame about them and <laughs> denial. Um, you didn't say all that, but I just, um, elaborated. <laughs> I hope I'm, that's okay. <laughs> but, um, but there's a certain level of, of responsibility that you took at a very young age to own your desires. And I think that that's, um, huge in like starting the path of seduction, you know, and then you were able to then see how that is going to fuel your life and to bring you into this, like give you the fuel and the transmission. It's like that, that like these moments inject inside of us that awaken it. And then we are able to, because like real life takes a while to like do the work to get there. Right. Like we get these moments that inject us and awaken certain parts of our codes. And then it's like the actual embodiment growing of the garden and the harvesting of it is could be like 30 years, you know, it can, it can be like a really long humbling, um, process that I feel like sometimes is different than what we like idealize. And oh, for sure. Right. I'm glad you named that. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's a really big part, um, of being aware of that with 
when we're playing or devoting ourselves to seduction and to like our higher selves and everything is to be constantly in that space of like higher self we're going, we're evolving, we're, we're, you know, initiating and, and manifesting this experience. And then it's like, oh yeah, yeah. And real life means I'm like also letting it go. I'm also like, wow, the thing that I thought I wanted the most is actually the thing that's going to shred me and like whittle me down into this thing. Cause then it's going to bring me into, you know? And so there's a whole journey of, of that, that I think, um, is a lot more sobering, you know? Wow. Yeah. This has been so inspired. I'm so grateful for you and your transmissions and all of the direct experience that have gone into you sourcing these really inspired ideas and visions. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, How can people who are listening connect with you, work with you, sign up for your course? Um, So I live in Mexico, so I do private retreats, um, in Zihuatanejo, it's a, it's a town, Droncones, Mexico. Um, so I do private retreats there. I do courses that are online. They have before foundational, uh, workshop piece. And then I work weekly for a three month period with, um, my clients. And, uh, you can contact me through Facebook or Instagram under Arakai Moon or Star Siren Astrology and DM me there. Um, or you could email me at Arakai Moon at gmail.com we'll link those in the notes thank you um is there anything else that you want to leave us with thank you for listening you can keep listening to part two which is the next episode and if you've been enjoying this podcast i would love to read your review on apple Podcasts or itunes if you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com i'll send you a resource library about creating and elevating your reality several hours of videos connecting astrology with manifestation and things like the mystical side, the primal side of the Leo archetype when it comes to our creative intelligence. Um, One of my favorite talks I've ever given, Leo, or it's called Play and the Evolution of Alternate Realities. Um, So I'd love to share that with you. Um, Your reviews help a lot for the visibility of this podcast and helping connect more people. You know, if you really enjoy the podcast, the review is a a great way to signal boost it and help it become more visible to others who may also resonate as well. So go ahead and check out part two. I will see you there next. Mm